Hey guys, I am so excited about this episode. I got to sit down and have a conversation with an old friend about being a young conservative working in the Republican Party in California and even in the White House. It was an awesome conversation. I'm so excited to share it with y'all. Check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. All right, guys, I'm super excited to have a special guest with me today for this podcast, just to learn a little bit about young people in the world and um, the conservative world and specifically the political world. So I have a friend here, Logan Bambino, who I am connected with because his grandmother used to babysit me when I was a very young child, which is kind of hilarious. And actually, um, His other grandma is one of my mom's closest friends. So our families intersect in a number of ways. So thank you so much, Logan, for jumping on with me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So tell me a little bit about yourself and also how old are you? Um, Well, I am 21 years old. I was born in Northern California near Sacramento, a very middle class, blue collar community and home. Um, you know, my dad is a, is a salesman. He's a, he's a pretty conservative guy, but my mom isn't political, political at all. You know, she works for a small insurance company in, in the suburbs of Sacramento. I have a couple younger, younger siblings that are uh, 10 and 13 years younger than me. So definitely grew up being the older big brother. You know, I grew up in a really liberal community. You know, the majority of residents in the town are lower middle class minority Democrats. And, you know, that's where I was born and and went to school and grew up. But I also spent a lot of time with my grandparents, like you mentioned, in Redding, California, (laughs) which, you know, is considered a a heavily conservative community. Um, Mm -hmm. And my grandparents and great grandparents there own a small business and have lived there for for three generations. And and so I bring this up because I think it's kind of relevant to explain that, you know, I didn't have a sheltered upbringing where I was only exposed to one viewpoint. You know, I grew up with an agglomeration of, of different viewpoints and ideologies and cultures and experiences. Mm-hmm. And so as I personally matured and started to take an interest in politics, you know, these were the values and viewpoints that I developed on my own. And, you know, certainly my family and upbringing obviously had a big effect on who I am today, but I had every opportunity to believe in what I wanted to believe in. And so I speak to you now as a young conservative growing up in, in California, going to uh, UC Davis, one of the most liberal universities in, in the country, I would say. Um, Absolutely. And trying to navigate that, you know, it's not easy for sure. And I think, you know, especially in the liberal, <laughs> the liberal community, you know, being a conservative and, and, and being told that your viewpoints don't matter is okay, you know? And I think creating an environment where conservatives are allowed to speak up and I can go into a little bit about, you know, my background growing up, growing up in the public school system in California and what that, what that's like. And like I said, I have, I have younger siblings too, who, who grew up in that environment. So 
it's a really important issue for me, something I really like to speak about. And so I'm excited to, to talk with you today. Yeah. So we're from the same small town and I'm a little bit more removed having been out of, um, actually this would be my 20 year reunion from high school. If there wow. was reunions, <laughs> I know. So <laughs> dating myself a little bit. So I am a little bit removed from the, you know, public school and even from the collegiate system, but I would love to hear your perspective, having gone through public school in yes, a liberal area and then on to college. Did you already have conservative values going into the school system of your own? You know, it sounds like you were surrounded by a lot of adults that had conservative values, but when did you start to take those on as your own? And how did that go being in that conflict of the public school system and a liberal college? Well, you know, when people ask me, you know, like, Logan, what is, what is the most pressing issue our country faces today? Obviously, there's a lot of them. But, um, <laughs> you know, I believe it's without question, you know, this the indoctrination of youth in our schools, especially yeah. in states like California and New York. Mm-hmm. You know, that that is it for me. That That's the hill I'm going to die on. And and I say this and I recognize that indoctrination is sort of a loaded word, right? Mm-hmm. It usually has a really negative connotation. A lot of people relate it to something sinister, something culty, sure. you know, really, really obvious in nature. I actually have the definition right here in front of me. And according to Google, you can Google this. Indoctrination is the process of teaching a person or group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically, even simpler It's encouraging a person or a group to accept an idea without consideration of whether it's right or wrong. And Mm -hmm. that's a scary thought, you know, and Mm -hmm. even scarier, this process of encouraging people to accept information with little skepticism, it's seeped into every facet of our lives from wearing masks to getting the vaccines to the news we watch on a daily basis. And now to learning in schools, I mean, it's, it's monkey see monkey do. And mm-hmm. so when we talk about today's youth, the next generation, the, the most vulnerable and impressionable members of our society, they look at their parents and they watch TV and they look at mm-hmm. Instagram and they look at their teachers and they're told to sit down and shut up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and it's not always that obvious. I, I don't want to say that it can be subtle, but it's there and, it, and it's ever more present as you know, the government starts to take an interest in all aspects of our lives. And so I mm-hmm. wish I could say that from a young age, I've always been a champion of change and, you know, speaking the conservative truth in California when no one else would. <laughs> but that's, that's just not the case. It took years for me to even garner the courage to share my beliefs in public with my peers and my coworkers and my teachers. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of kids and, and young adults now, you know, my opinions and views and experiences were not welcome when I was in school. Mm -hmm. And that creates self-censorship. You know, I started to question who I was, who my family was, what my values were. And I think this fear that comes with questioning authority and ideas is absolutely a tool that the media and the government wants to employ for their own benefit. And so, like I mentioned, I went through public school in my hometown I don't remember when I first started getting into politics, but I think it was around the eighth grade. I remember, Hmm. I remember we were studying the 2012 presidential election and my U.S. history teacher who then had Obama posters plastered all over her wall and pictures of Of him everywhere. 
had us do a project on a presidential candidate and every single person in the class did a poster on Barack Obama. I'm not kidding. Every single person. (laughs) (laughs) And I was the only one who decided to do it on Mitt Romney. And granted, I didn't. Wow. (laughs) I didn't even know who, who Mitt Romney was at the time. Probably didn't know a lot about him or his policies, but I knew that Barack Obama was the president. And at that time, finances were rough for my family. Gas Mm. prices were through the roof. And I remember thinking, you know, why would you do a poster on someone you already know? You know this person's policies. You know how it affects your life now. Regardless of your position or viewpoints, why wouldn't you educate yourself on the individual who could be the next president of the United States? And I remember feeling almost embarrassed when Mm. Or, or, or this conveying this feeling of embarrassment when she hung up all these posters on the wall and every single one of them had Barack Obama on it with everyone's names and there's mine in the corner with Mitt Romney. <laughs> it oh was my like, gosh. It was this first instance where I felt like a fish out of water. <laughs> like wow. I didn't belong and, and you know, I wasn't the same as everyone else and I didn't think the same as everyone else. And so it, it's kind of symbolic now, you know, looking through through high school and college and and having the experiences that I've had, but you know, that's kind of the start. That's kind of what I remember going, going in public school and, and being different than everyone else. So it was really just your own conviction of thinking outside, like your own curiosity, your own free thinking, go figure, that broke this indoctrination routine for you as a singular student. That's so fascinating. Who were the, the people, or even if you could pick a person in your upbringing, that really encouraged that, you know, just think for yourself and think outside the box or even encourage those conservative values. What can we do as parents or you maybe as a future parent to instill that think for yourself in, in the younger generation coming up? You know, absolutely. I think, you know, I think my parents and and my grandparents, pretty much every single member of my family, like I said, I grew up in a pretty conservative household. You know, my, my, Mm -hmm. my dad is a pretty conservative guy and, and all of my family tends to be on the more conservative side, but never have they taught me what to think, what to say, how to feel, what to do. You know, as I go to school in a really liberal area, there was never once a, an instance where my parents told me, exactly what I should think, what, it, what, what the correct answer was all the time. They let me figure it mm-hmm. out on my own. You know, part of going mm-hmm. to school and, and why it's such a shame now with, with COVID and, and the online learning is that school is about figuring things out, being independent and, and, and having that ability to think through ideas and meet people and talk with people. And so it is such a shame now that with Zoom learning and, and things like that, that they don't have the opportunity, kids don't have the opportunity to really engage anymore that, that that's going to be a huge problem in the near future but I, I think just in my upbringing you know if I if, if I went to school and, and I became a democrat and I and I believed those things you know my parents wouldn't tell me otherwise they would they would still love me and respect okay. me you know the same but with that said going through that system and, and and hearing those arguments and hearing those debates a lot of them aren't logical <laughs> You know, I didn't think too much about politics in high school until the 2016 election. Um, this is kind of the first time that I was completely engaged in an election from start to finish. You know, I did my research. I watched the debates. I studied the issues. I couldn't even vote. Mm-hmm. I was 17 at the time, but I mm-hmm. really wanted to be informed. 
And so I remember this specific instance when it came down to Trump and Clinton. You know, I remember those few months leading up to November as extremely hostile. And I remember I was in a history class and just in conversation, I mentioned, you know, supporting Trump over Clinton or, or something mm -hmm. of that nature. And I immediately, I mean, within seconds, had a barrage of people calling me a racist, a bigot, a, you know, xenophobic. And I remember being so taken aback because, you know, I, I have friends who were Asian and Nepali and Mexican, and I'd never once even considered race as a, as a determining factor for anything. And now sure. all of a sudden, I'm called out pretty publicly for being a privileged white racist. Wow. And, you know, this goes back to, you know, the, the indoctrination and the repercussions of not conforming to certain ideals. I didn't know that mm -hmm. at the time, you know, I'm, I'm still young, I'm immature, I'm, I'm just trying to live my life in high school, high school is hard enough as it is trying to fit in. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, I think after that, I kind of shut down a little bit, you know, I didn't want to engage with anyone on any political issue, I felt like, if I said what I actually believed, I'd be an outcast. And, you yeah. know, I wish I didn't have that cowardice looking back. But when, like I said, when you're in a high school environment, it's hard to to mm -hmm. try to fit in. And, and that's what I wasn't, mm -hmm. that's what I was trying to do. And so that happened at classroom setting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and, and it got, I mean, in that environment, too, you know, of course, teachers are trying to encourage debate, and they're trying to be objective. But I don't think the teachers were doing, you know, favors for young conservatives, either. I had teachers mm -hmm. who would wear Bernie Sanders t shirts to class every day, mm -hmm. leading up to the election. Mm -hmm. It's just, and, and, and like I said, indoctrination doesn't have to be explicit. It can be subtle. You know, those signs and those signals that you're sending to students that you're not welcome here, your ideas, they don't matter here, can have a really big impact on someone's upbringing. And so, you know, when we look at the news and, and at a wider scale, this self-censorship, that's a huge mm -hmm. issue that, that honestly, you know, the state and schools individually need to solve looking at my little, you know, my little brother and my little sister growing up, what type of environment are they going to live in when they can't even say what they actually think anymore? You know, where yeah. it, talking about the American Re Revolution, George Washington, we can't talk about him anymore because he's racist and he's a slave owner. Uh, you know? So you went to UC Davis. What did you major in and how, why did you choose UC Davis? You know, I, I majored in political science, so I really just wanted to make it as hard as possible on myself. Um, I actually <laughs> I actually went in to, to UC Davis um, because originally I decided that I wanted to go to medical school. I didn't want to do anything with, with political science. Honestly, part of that was, was due to, you know, going to high school and, and having those people be so cruel and, and, and having the teachers be so, you know, not understanding in, in their nature that I, I needed to get out of that. I needed to do something that was a little bit more factual, straightforward. I loved science. I loved learning. So I decided I was going to be a doctor. And then I took chemistry my first quarter and I realized, oh, no, no, no. There was no way that that was going to happen. <laughs> and so I, I really self-reflected, kind of garnered a, a new sense of self and what was important to me moving forward and how did I want to make you know an impact on the world. And I decided that even though I knew it was going to be an uphill battle, and even though I knew I was, I was doing it to myself, I was going to major in political science. And 
you know, I, I was going to fight for some conservative principles. Like I said, I knew it wasn't going to be easy. And I knew that there were going to be a lot of people. I was going to make a lot of enemies, but it was important to me, you know? And, and I think that I would be, I would feel really bad at this point in my life, not having done that. It, it's brought me so, so many opportunities, so much growth, personal growth, you know, it's taught me so much being in an environment like that, where everyone's kind of rooting against you a little bit, you know, yeah. but it, it makes you grow stronger. And uh, I'd be lying if I said it was easy, but you know, and, I, and I'm not trying to discourage conservatives from studying politics because there, there is good things about it. It just, it became really exhausting. And, you know, this goes back to the idea of, of indoctrination and teaching and presenting information as if it's fact, even though it's not. And as I'm being taught mentally, I'm combing through this information with a fine tooth comb because in every article, in every textbook, there's a little bit of bias here and a little bit of misinformation there. And so I really quickly realized as a Republican at UC Davis, I had a choice. I could regurgitate what's being presented to me on paper and, and, and on exams and get really good grades, or I could think for myself. I could challenge convention and I could make arguments and I could debate. When you do that, you run the risk of getting hammered by professors and TAs. So, you know, what, so, so what do you do though? I chose the truth. I chose to present the facts and challenge opinions. I wrote essays on, on cutting taxes. I wrote essays on the legality of Trump's border wall. I wrote essays on the White House. And I did it without thinking about all the people I would offend and all the individuals who, who might hate me. It's so funny. I'll tell you a story. While working full-time at the White House, I was also taking a class online at UC Davis called the Presidency. So this, this whole class was based on, on, on the president himself. And this professor had a whole chapter called The Dysfunction of the Trump White House. Wow. Spent an entire week talking about it. A professor who had never worked in the White House, who had never worked in the Trump administration, who had never met Donald Trump, taught an entire chapter on the inner workings of the administration. It was embarrassing. You know, for a moment, I was actually embarrassed to intend, attend an institution that literally was selling me lies. You know, I'm paying thousands and thousands of dollars for a course on conjecture. Wow. And, and it was really, it was really discouraging. I'm not going to lie, but. Uh, it's so eye-opening though. Like at the same time, I understand where you're feeling discouraged, but what a eye-opening moment of, of agenda being revealed to you. And mm -hmm. it sounds like going to a very left-leaning college only strengthened your conservative values, which is really interesting. So I'd love to know more about how you ended up in the White House also and what specifically your experience was in comparison to what he was, he or she was teaching in that course. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I've worked in pretty much every facet of California politics by now. I worked in the legislature. I worked on the ground in communities. I worked for the party itself to win elections. And I can, I mean, without sharing too much, I can tell you that these statewide offices pale in comparison to Donald Trump's White House. Mm. I started as an intern. I, I applied for the internship program. It's a pretty prestigious program itself, but with with COVID-19 and being stuck at home and not having the college experience that I wanted to have, I needed to do something. I knew I needed to, to step out of my comfort zone and really push myself because I knew that if I didn't, I'd fall into this trap of being at home, not engaging, 
and, and I couldn't do that. And I can tell you as an intern and, and then eventually I got promoted to, to a full-time staff member, I have never met people so hardworking, so motivated, so kind and thoughtful in my entire life. Every single person who worked in that sacred building gave 110% every single day mm. to support the rights of all Americans. Mm. And these are people on government salaries working seven days a week, 10 to 12 hour days. And they do it because they believe in the administration and they believe in Donald Trump. Sure. And that kind of respect isn't just automatically given to someone. You know, I, I've worked for different principles before, and I can tell you I've worked with some, some interesting characters. <laughs> and, and, and that respect isn't, it isn't just given. The way that the people surrounding Trump spoke about his work ethic and his vision and his character does not match the image being portrayed in the media. You know, I was there when Marine One would land on the South Lawn at 2 a.m. after a long day's work. And I was there the next morning when he would take off for another busy day at 10 a.m. I was there on, on Halloween when he, he stepped away from his mark where he was supposed to be. And I'm sure the Secret Service would rather him be on that mark <laughs> to take a picture with a disabled boy in a wheelchair because that boy was so excited to see him. You know, I was there in the last days of the administration when, you know, Mrs. Trump stood in front of us and she just thanked us for all of our hard work and dedication and making their time at the White House unforgettable. And so, you know, I was there when President Trump stood in front of all the interns and said that he was fighting for us, that the reason he was doing this is he was fighting for the next generation of leaders in our world. And, you know, I can only speak on my experience when I say that the Trump White House was the real deal. You know, the, these are the people who should be running our country. And I'm not saying that politics isn't involved and there are mess ups because there always will be. Of course. But from my experience, you know, it, it was absolutely amazing. Usually you hear about federal politics and the White House as this cutthroat, horrible environment to work in. And that just wasn't my experience at all. Thank you for sharing that. That's a real awesome little inside perspective that I think more I wish more people were brave enough to share that because there is such a negative rhetoric around his whole presidency. I mean, I didn't vote from the first time I did the second time and to your, you know, experience was called all the names all, you know, I didn't know it had anything at all to do with race or, you know, my, my white privilege or any of those things. That's not, mm -hmm. that's not at all what inspired my, you know, vote, but um, it's, it's so sad to see these things that are so unrelated to the person or the administration be so linked and such a stain on a lot of really important and good work that was done in the last four years. So Absolutely. now that you've worked in the white house, obviously you're, you're getting your feet wet in all kinds of aspects of politics. What is your ultimate career goal? <laughs> I think you asked me that question a couple years ago, I would say I have no idea. Um, but <laughs> but after working for the White House, it, it's so funny. I had this experience working there. I was actually, I won't say who it was, but I was giving a tour to a really prominent church group. And as I was walking out, as they were walking out of the East Wing, a woman stops me and she and she touches my head and she just looks at me and she says, I don't know who you are, I, I don't know what you're done, but I know you're going places. And it may not be in the forefront of, of politics, you know, you may not win an election, but you're gonna be behind the scenes and you're gonna be making a huge difference in the world. 
And I don't know why that has stuck with me, you know, to this day, but it is such a big part of my life now moving forward. You know, I just graduated college a couple of weeks ago. Congrats. Um, th- thank you very much. And, and I think moving forward, I'm thinking about possibly going to law school, but my ultimate goal is to, is to make a difference wherever I can. And I know that's broad and, and such a cliche statement, but honestly, you know, America, California, it's worth fighting for. If you don't have people who are fighting to make the future even brighter, then, then what are we doing? You know? And so I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm as much as, you know, the doom of the Biden administration and all the negative things going on in the world right now, I'm excited for the future. I, I think that there's hope. I think that there's a lot of people out there that maybe don't, don't have their voices heard right now because of this indoctrination in our schools and in the media, but they will. And, and I have a feeling that that's coming soon. Oh, that's so encouraging to hear you say. Do you think that politics is still a real way to create that change and shift in culture? I, I, I think it is. I don't think politics itself is the problem. I think it's the people in the politics that's the problem. Okay. Um, you, we already see this sort of division between, I, I guess you like, they call them rhinos now, the, the rhinos of the Republican Party versus the grassroots movement. And I think that Donald Trump is definitely a champion of that grassroots activist movement. Yeah. And I think the problem with the Republican Party here in California is that we're kind of still stuck in that traditional conservative appealing to a broad base kind of environment. And hearing the Californians talking on the phone to them every single day at my job, I know that people want to move towards that grassroots, take the power back to, you know, the the people want the power back. We have a really interesting opportunity to do that with the recall coming up. And I'm, I'm really excited to see where that takes us. But like I said, California is worth fighting for. And I think that it'll be an interesting couple of years coming up. That's for sure. What would you say, what advice would you give to someone? I've never been in politics before. I'm absolutely experiencing what you're describing, this just grassroots, this this desire to get the power back, so to speak. And I don't just mean conservative power back. I'm in Tennessee, which is very red, but we have the same issue with the old school Republican mentality where I, I'm actually not a Republican, I'm a libertarian, but I would say I'm a conservatarian, if you will. You know, I definitely lean mm. more in the conservative value realm, but it's just so stale. I just feel like there's such a just phoning it in the way that we always used to do it is the way we're doing it. And that is not going to work anymore. You know, moving forward, there's such an aggressive power grab coming from the other side that we need to, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if neutralize is the right word, but just, pl- you know, play at the same level, be as engaged and as concerned and as involved as the other side is, if we're going to stand a chance to hold on to some of these values that are so important to the founding of our country. So, is it local politics? What what would you say is something that we can do as just regular Joes who didn't go and study political science? How can we get involved in help? <laughs> I for sure. I think I think we're in we have a unique opportunity in this modern age where we can directly engage with our leaders on a cell phone. You know, you, you hear something on social media and all of a sudden it becomes a big national issue. 
I mean, look at look at the impeachment process. When Donald Trump first got elected, impeaching the president wouldn't have never been an option. That that wasn't even within the realm of possibility. And you have a few people who tweet about it. You have people like AOC who give it a little momentum, and all of a sudden, it's happened twice now. Right. Um, look at look at packing the Supreme Court. You know, five years ago, that would be absolutely insane. No one in their right mind would push for that. Still insane. Now we have. It's still absolutely insane. But now we have a president who is putting together a commission to consider that idea. Right. And so I think conservatives need to, you know, we need to call out the people who are fine with the country the way that it is, because, you know, we have a lot of Republican politicians who are fine being elected to office. You know, they, they have the name recognition, they're incumbents, they, they're not worried about losing their seats. So let's not stir the pot. I want to make sure that my seat is secured in, in the next election. Those are the individuals that we need to target moving forward. Right. Yes. Okay. So get loud, get active, and even just in engaging and understanding who's representing our our state, our area, and get involved. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. We don't necessarily all have to run for office, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think, like you said, the very beginning step, the very beginning step for you was just understanding the race and, and mm -hmm. being engaged and watching the debates and knowing who these candidates are. That's even just a really, what a radical thing, right? That we should be that engaged in who we're choosing to make all these choices for us. But also to your point, we can suggest things on social media. Also, we can push back on the ideas or encourage the good ideas, share them. And there's so many alternative platforms now. Also, it's not just Instagram and Facebook. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm feeling really encouraged just hearing from you and, and your optimism. And thank you so much for sharing your experience. I know that there's so many, so many nuggets we can take from this and put into action for ourselves. So I appreciate your time, Logan. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two. Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Logan. Thank you for people like him who are being brave in this world, who are standing for truth, who are using their voice in a positive way to affect change in this world and in this country, Lord. We just bless his journey, his steps, and everyone like him. Let him be an inspiration to other young people and other people who are not young, Lord, that we all have a voice and that we can stand boldly in your truth, Lord. In your son's name, we pray. Amen.